it's the Craggy Rugby Podcast, back for a summer edition, special edition, all recorded online. We're in three different locations. I'm Rob Murphy, going to be on the line. Alan Deegan. Hi, Rob. Yeah, you're there. You're one part of Galway. William Davis is another part of Galway. Hi, Rob. Good evening. How's your summer been? Yeah, it's been all right. It's not much of a summer. Um, Plenty of sport. The rugby season never really seems to end. Ireland tours, Lions all the rest of it and it's you would uh, you would think we were on the cusp of pre-season but uh, our tournament seems to be a, in a slightly confused place yeah exactly it, it could like end up anywhere at this stage right now it's still the Pro 12 Alan Deegan and uh, what's quite worrying is we had a whole flurry of stories coming out of South Africa with the BBC possibly leading the way breaking it but very little else reported on it being the quiet time for a lot of rugby journalists in this part of the world off the lines tour and well it looked like it was gaining momentum and it looked like it was about to be announced what eight ten days ago we were expecting an announcement to say that these two South African sides were joining the Pro 12 it's all gone a little quiet bar one three from the Pro 12 so we're all kind of scratching our head going well, what does this mean well yeah well the tweet did say it. They, were, they were just trying to they, they would give us news as soon as they possibly could so it's obviously there's obviously legal stuff going on. There's TV deals obviously have to be dealt with. And, you know, how do people, how do guys get up and down and play in Europe from South Africa? They'll, they'll, I'm sure there's all sorts of things with <laughs> needing, um, um, what do you call it, you know, being able to move in and out between the different countries, uh, how they're going to do it. You know, there's, there's talk of the fact that if the South Africans are here, they won't play in December and January because that's their hottest month of the year down there, especially when you're looking at somewhere like, Blunt and Tail, which is on the high veld, and you're talking about an average temperature of thirty odd degrees during the day, um, during the summer. So you know it's um, there's there's quite a lot to be worked out, really, isn't there? Really is, William. But uh, I think we expected, with the speed at which the story started to break, and the incredible uh, logistical, what I would say, uh, challenge at the very least of trying to introduce two teams to a league with with two months' notice seems to get even harder when, when it's getting down to what five weeks notice in terms of official notice anyways. Yeah, you've you've got to feel somewhere here that there must be a date of no return. It's and that must be getting close. It must I, I still feel it'll probably come to fruition next week. If it if it doesn't then you you start to wonder is it going to happen for this season at all? Yeah, because um, yeah, you also have the, a, the Italian issue as well with Zebra announcing during the week that they weren't going to take part immediately followed by the Italian Federation saying, yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, which which was, which which did, which all that stemmed from the fact that rumours, or not rumours, reports that Zebra players hadn't been play, paid and their pre-season hadn't started when most teams would be, what, three, four weeks at least into pre-season? Yeah, well, I, I think Italy were always going to be the challenge in this. Italy have been the challenge for a very, very long time yeah. uh, for Celtic rugby. I think the biggest problem at Zebra was obviously the wages. These are professionals. They have to be paid. But the insurance hadn't been paid, so they weren't able to train um, because there was no injury cover. Right. So essentially all they were doing was a bit of gym work. Um, they obviously decided they, they they just made an announcement that they were pulling out and that then drove the Italian Federation to take them over. Uh, some of us would feel that the Italian Federation have really been in charge in Zebra since day one. Yeah, I was going to say, did they not have the control of them anyways? 
Well, I, I think that's all part of the problem of Italy. And I think this, this whatever happens this year, you feel this is just another uh, patch solution uh, that, that, that's been cobbled together to make a season possible. Italian rugby has huge issues. We, we've talked about them. We probably talk about them more on this podcast than anywhere else. Everybody knows they're there, yeah. but they just, nobody wants to deal with it. Six Nations know there's an issue, but they don't want to get rid of their television deal, which is, is, is a major problem for them. They, they're tied in. Uh, I've been told from a very good source that Celtic Rugby were prepared to let the two Italian sides just go completely. And right. this has been built up on the back of uh, so much, so many issues, so many monetary problems, television deal issues. But the problem is for Pro 12, they're under pressure from World Rugby, who don't want to probably see Italy slip any further, as I've alluded to, the Six Nations. Um, but you feel that unless... I feel that unless England and France are prepared to put their hand in their pocket and actually put some money into Italian rugby, spread some of their financial success, that it just isn't going to work. Uh, they came in in 2010 and they've, they haven't lived up to what they promised they were going to do. And that's probably not all their fault, but... Well, it's sort it's we well it sort of is it, it sort of is because at at one stage three seasons in Treviso, you know, got up into seventh place and looked like they were going places, and then had the legs cut off from beneath them when the federation decided that Zebra were going to be the team that were going to take over when Arone failed, failed, and then they took players off Treviso and put them into Zebra, and that sort of screwed it because like Treviso are a club that had been around since 1924. These are a a, a fantastic club with a massive tradition, and we're starting to really make. You know, ways they'd beaten Leicester that year, I believe, as well, if I'm right, uh, in the European Cup. So, you know, there was something happening and, and they screwed it themselves, you know, which is kind of disappointing. But the whole reason they were brought in. The Italians. But, yeah, the Italians, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you're looking at they were brought in because they have a, a big population. The problem with the Celtic League has is that, you know, the population of Ireland, England, and Scot- or Ireland, Wales, and Scotland is way smaller than England or, or France. And so you're looking to have. More, it's it's about viewership. It's about getting money off TV companies to pay the bills, and and yeah. we can't compete and with it. Italy brings a massive population. Yeah, except that they're not that interested in rugby. Whereas the reason that you can see why they're going to for South Africa with a with a massive rugby po- you know population who are interested in rugby, like they've the third most registered number of male players in the world in South Africa. But that's interesting. But they, do they have? Do they really have that massive viewing population? Like, well, would soccer is... not be? And maybe William, you could. Attest to this because you've been down to South Africa a lot, and obviously you watch a lot of cricket down there as, as well as catching some rugby in your time. But would soccer not completely dominate that country? Their main sport is soccer. The the one thing that's crucial, and this maybe hasn't been explained enough, because of the time zone, South Africa is very connected to European sport by television. Yeah. At worst, they're t- during the, our winter, they're two hours ahead of us. At the moment, they're an hour ahead of us in our summer. So European sport is something that they get. Uh, all They show all the Premier League matches, for example, even Burnley. It's huge business down there. They show Aviva Premiership Rugby. They show the European Rugby. They've never shown Pro 12, um, maybe in some edited highlight form. 
But I think that linkage is quite important because even when they're playing in New Zealand, the time issue is there. When they're playing in Australia, there's a time issue. When they're playing in Argentina. But Europe, it's it's a 12-hour flight. It's a long way away. But it's still within that zone of where you can put a match on at 3 o'clock here, and that's 5 o'clock in South Africa. And that's yeah. peak viewing time or whatever. So I think that all ties together. Yeah. But how you... How you sell them, the teams that are in the pro currently in the pro twelve, that's that that remains to be seen. What about Alan? How do you sell the pro twelve, the teams that are coming from South Africa? Because they're the most underperforming teams of the six over the last five years, um, the Cheetahs and the Kings, and you know they're not they're not the glamour teams from South Africa, that's for sure. No, but on the flip side, the Cheetahs have won the Curry Cup for the last six years. I think it is. It could be five actually. Um, I can't quite remember exactly what that is, but you know they they, they have a very strong uh, underlying setup that that you know could be of help to them. Uh, whilst the Kings this year had a, a six and nine record, so they you know they they improved dramatically from a team that was cobbled <laughs> amazingly cobbled together at the last minute when they were when it went up to Super Eighteen, and you know they they arrived at they didn't have a preseason uh, two years ago, so. You know they they struggled, whereas this season they seem to have got their act together somewhat and and had a, a reasonably decent season, um, considering. So yes, they're not they don't have all the superstars, but they're you know they they're mad rugby people who are mad keen on rugby and very passionate about it. Um, and there is you know part of you know from what we're hearing, part of the deal is that more players want to get signed up. And and one of the another thing you know reading some of the South African, uh, newspapers and websites. There's a if these this does go ahead and these sign these sides do go for Europe, then all of a sudden playing for those sides becomes very attractive for other players in South Africa. Less travel, yeah. you know, and and uh, then they're in the shop window for European money. Well, it's pretty unprecedented in any sporting context to to do something like this. To what what you would say in US sports is these are expansion teams, which you could pretty much say they are. In, in this sport as well, because all right, they're already in existence, but they're going to have to kind of reform themselves a little bit. Um, it's pretty unprecedented to do this so quickly, to 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 all of a sudden uh, in the space of a few weeks try and squeeze a team into a new season. It wasn't part of the plans uh, up until June uh, on, on any public scale. Uh, a public scene, obviously, it probably was being talked about behind the scenes. So while the idea of South Africa teams joining a European league is something that was floated 10 years ago with Kerry Cup teams, I know when I was working with Connacht, it was, it was floated. But it just seemed like it seemed crazy to me that they could squeeze this through so quickly. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a major challenge for them. Um, I suppose the problem is, initially we were told the expansion was in North America. Yes. And that would that would have meant setting up from scratch um this is a bit like going down to your local ikea or whatever and buying it off the shelf and assembling something that you have all the parts here we go (laughs) yeah that's what it is really you've got you've got a team you've got a stadium you've got players you've got a broadcaster uh and you have to pull it all together i think it was we we knew teams were coming out of Super Rugby. Um, oh, that's certainly that rumor started right back at the start of the season around February in 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 uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, and 
that must have attracted Pro 12 immediately, who thought, well, okay, we could get whatever whatever happens. There's an opportunity here to get sides that are ready to go. The difficulty is if if you have to wait till next year, it's July now. Yeah. Imagine in a year's time, what have those players been doing for a year? How do do, do you keep them on? Do you pay them to do nothing? Um, what do you? Do? They have to play some rugby, but how, they don't. They can't play Super Rugby. The Curry Cup doesn't start until this time of the year. So, do they play a bit of club rugby? Or so I think that is what's caused the necessity for the speed. Um, but it's obviously a logistical difficulty, and the biggest the biggest difficulty that I see is is the situation that's arisen in Italy. Then you've got to look at the, the, the current TV deal for Pro 12 runs till the end of the forthcoming season. That was based on 12 regional teams doing what they've done for the last seven or eight years with the same broadcasters. And they have to be brought on board to deal with the South African angle. They also are, are trying to negotiate a new television deal. That negotiation will have been ongoing probably since about this time last year, their painfully slow process of getting TV deals in place. Can you give us an idea of the money that we're talking about? It depends what you believe, but what what seems to be that the TV deal that's in place at the moment is supposed to be around about 11 million, and I've heard sterling. So if you say 11 million sterling, so each side per year, so each side is getting about a million sterling or a bit under from the television deal. It's a complex television deal spread between a lot of broadcasters because there's there's, there's four countries yeah. involved in this. There's minority language channels who don't have a lot of money to spend on sport. BBC Alba, TG4 here. S4C in Wales, you've got BBC Wales, BBC Northern Ireland. It's it's a bit of a dog's dinner of a deal, but it works quite well. Sky are involved, and Sky have decided that from the end of the forthcoming season, they are pulling out of European rugby. So from September of 2018, BT Sports will have the rights to European rugby in the UK and Ireland, with a certain number of games going to free-to-air. Right. But that's probably a handful of games. So Sky's rugby coverage has wound down, Yeah. if, if, if that's how they leave it. But the, the suggestion now is that Sky are going to come in or the, and become a major part of the new Pro 12, 13, 14, whatever it works out as. That's potentially going to ease out some of the other broadcasters because... The plan seems to be that more money is going to have to come from that part of the broadcast deal. Then we have the South African money, which seems to be running around about six million a year from the South African Rugby Union, which is five hundred thousand per team, which is a sort of a, a it's a fee to take part in the tournament. Yeah, and it, okay. it and it it provides money for getting teams to go to South Africa because that's a, that's an expensive business. We'll come back to that in a minute because that's going to be one of the big changes when it happens. But there's also potentially South African TV money there and the opportunity 
to show the product in different markets. Middle East, Asia, Supersport are a very, very successful company in South Africa, but they have tentacles all over the place. So Can you it, clarify it, it, something for me? If the South African yeah. Rugby Union are going to pay $6 million per year to be in this competition, why does that make business sense for them? And if the South African TV companies pay, does that money still... Does that money go to South Africa, in your opinion? Like, you can only speculate, but we know the six million figures be put in the press, but the this bit I'm asking you possibly to speculate a little bit. Or will that money actually go into the league itself as a group? Why is it in the South African's interest to be paid six million a year to put two or two teams up there rather than just put them out of existence and plow on with four? Um, Maybe that's a question honestly, in itself. That is, yeah. It's a very difficult question to answer. Whether it's because... Deep down, the, the South Africans have a problem with Super Rugby. They're the biggest. Uh, they put the most money or produce the most money for the TV deal for Super Rugby. And Super Rugby has run into a brick wall because Rugby Union in Australia has major problems. Uh, and its, its biggest problem is its TV revenue has fallen through the floor. It's now behind uh, Australian Rules Football, Rugby League, Cricket and Soccer. And then you've got Rugby Union. The New Zealand TV market is no bigger than ours. It's a four and a half million population. They're an ultra successful operation when it comes to winning rugby matches. They, the, the record this year against Australian teams is play 25, won 25, which Ouch. is frankly staggering. But the problem is it's the South African super sport money that seems to be the biggest facilitator for that for that side of the game in super rugby and perhaps they and these these organizations always look slightly long term they you know next season is next season but what's going to happen in 2022 or 2023 and onwards they may start to feel that europe is where they want to play yeah it's it's a much easier you know it's a, it seems a long way to go but it's very simple you get in a plane you fly overnight. You're lucky if you can sleep on a plane. I can't, so it's, you're up all night. You arrive in South Africa, have a shower, have your breakfast, go to bed for a couple of hours, get up, and you're ready to go. There's no jet lag. Wow. And that, that's, that, that's, that's a huge issue for these teams because they're, you know, they're flying to New Zealand, they're flying to Australia, they're flying to Argentina, they're going to Japan, or whatever. I know they've split it into conferences, but there's still a lot of travel involved. And... Where it'll be different for, say, Connacht. Say Connacht are getting ready to go to South Africa. So they play a game here on a Friday night. We'll, we'll say they play the Dragons. I don't know who's going to be in these conferences. So we'll say they play the Dragons on a Friday night. And next Friday night, they're playing in Port Elizabeth. So they have to probably get on a plane Sunday morning, fly to London, fly down overnight, arrive on Monday. And they're away then all week. It's, it's not like going to play a game in Italy or going to play a European game in France where you might almost fly in the day before. You might even fly in the morning of the game having done your captain's run in Dublin the day before and stayed overnight in Dublin. So there's a whole new experience coming. Right. And well, one, one, of just one, one of the interesting advantages, of course, Kieran Kane, who's coming here as uh, our new coach... Um, he's got great experience of playing rugby in South Africa. Whether when he signed his contract he was expecting to play rugby in South Africa is a totally different issue. 
Yeah, definitely. Alan, you've been following this league for God knows how long, from, this, from day one, let's mm-hmm. be honest, all of us have. And, and like people need to realise too, you know, they do realise that who listen to this podcast, but this is a 15, 16, what is it, a 16-year-old league? Um, can you believe, the, the, like, does this make sense to you? Is it, it, like, is, is any part of you going, this is, this is radical, or do you feel like it's logical, this expansion, this potential expansion? Well, if you you know when you're looking at a league that has a a TV deal of eleven million against the league in the UK, it's got fifty or sixty million, and a league in the French league, which is ninety odd million. Um, you know, you you're gonna guys are gonna get their heads turned more regularly as time goes on. Um, and it's not just that. There's also this is this is almost like a a fight between the unions and the clubs. Like you, you're looking at the uh, the Kings are owned by the South African Union. I'm sure the Cheetahs will have, you know, a lot of Af- South African Union. If they're putting money into this, they'll have a lot of say in that as well. So then this competition becomes more of a union competition because all the Irish clubs are union owned, the Scottish clubs are, and one of the Welsh clubs and possibly a second one is is going to be a, you know, another union based one. So you could have a standoff between how the unions want to run rugby and how the clubs want to run rugby. Um, so you know maybe there's something going on there, and you 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 get the feeling that. The other South African teams are looking at this going, well, if this has any sort of joy in it in, in, in how the, the games are played and how much money's being brought in, they'll be looking to stop travelling around the globe and just going up and, you know, just coming up north to play up uh, in, in the Northern Hemisphere. I just want to clarify, well, some, is, sorry, I just want to clarify yeah. something that's been bothering me about the cheat, the, the cheaters. I knew they'd won the, 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 their league three or four, or the, the Curry Cup three or four times, but that was 10 years ago. They're, they're current champions, but it was 10 years ago they won the other one. Sorry, I got confused earlier on. Um, so, oh, yeah. um, I, I, I think one of the things that, that there's a context to this that hasn't been explained by any, any part of the media Pro 12 is owned by the IRFU, Scottish Rugby Union, Welsh Rugby Union and the Italian Federation I don't think the Italians have any say in anything because of the, the issues that we've already alluded to but if you look at some of the statements coming from Scottish Rugby Union and the Irish IRFU they tasked Pro 12 with going and finding a better deal. This, this hasn't just come out of nowhere. They actually said, they looked ahead and said, we have a problem, as Alan has said there, with, with, with money. You, you guys, you are the conduit for our professional rugby, and you have to go and see if you can find a different market and get more money in. Which is why they're looking at America as well, because there's, big money, yes. you know, there's a huge amount of rugby played in America. Like I'm just looking at the, the, the number of registered um, players in America. It's 50,000. They have 2,500 rugby clubs. This is not a small game in the States. I know it's spread out all over the place, but it's got a big, big following, especially in the universities. And so there is, there is a market there. And Martin and I said it to us last year when you interviewed him, William, at the, at the launch. He talked about splitting into conferences even back then. So they have been talking about this isn't something that's just out of the blue. They've been working on this for a long time. You could you could get that uh, interview, folks, if you uh, scroll through our archives, because it's it's the first podcast of last season. It'll be the season preview from uh, the Aviva Stadium where we did the lodge. So just have a look back at that. Alan, you might tweet that out uh, a little right, bit well. later to link to that, that podcast as well, because I think people would like to listen back to it. I, we got to wrap this up, lads, because we got to move towards just a quick quick update on where we are with the squad and, and maybe just to let listeners know what we plan to do podcast wise once we hear more. But I, I just wanted to ask you, William, Martin and I did stress last season in one of the interviews that, you know, expansion was definitely an aim. 
but it need to make sense, he said. You know, I'm going to paraphrase if I can a little bit because I don't have to quote in front of me. But he said things like, it'll need to make sense and we're not going to rush into it. Um, that's one of my big concerns at the moment is this, this feels too rushed. Whether it's the right thing or not might necessarily not matter if you if it's a bit bundled. And I'm using that word carefully, but I just think these eight or ten days that we've waited with no word really, really have me worried. Um, you guys were convincing me as we chatted off the off podcast uh, over the last week or two that you know you got to think about this bigger picture. But I'm kind of regressing back to be just thinking this is a bit bonkers. Uh, I think it probably hasn't gone as smoothly as they would have hoped. But when you're making a radical change like this, yeah. it's inevitable. It's going to be complicated. What I would say is. I would consider the IRFU and the Scottish Rugby Union to be two very conservative organisations who don't make rash judgments. Welsh Rugby Union are a bit different because they're they're inclined to go off in all sorts of directions. There's a a lot of issues in Welsh rugby. They aren't maybe as quite as focused at times on uh, the governance of the game. Uh, they're quite successful at what they do, but it, it, it does get a bit fruity over there because there's, there's, there's a lot of different camps. But I kind of feel that if, if the Scottish and Irish unions are behind this and have are happy with the task, happy of, of what they're being given, then yeah. I think it will happen. But I think it's unacceptable for fans. It's unacceptable as well for media. Uh, and I, I'm not crying about the fact that we get to travel to watch rugby matches and stuff but you need to know you need to be able to plan ahead yeah. and to have no fixture list now at the end of July for something that as you say is starting in five weeks is is very it's poor but you if they can get the deal done you would say right that's year one you've had your it's a bit like Connacht's start to last season it's it's a bit uh, it hasn't gone well but as long as they get on top of it but you have to feel that at a certain point in not too distant future, this is this is going to start looking like something that's going to have to be put off till next season. I, I don't actually see that happening, but I'm I would be I'm not as convinced as I was this time last week, but I would still be 90 percent certain it'll happen. All right. Just enough time to get some updates. Alan, what? What are we? Well, I keep. I've said this already, but we're four or five weeks into the preseason. But Connacht are back. We get the feeling that lessons were learned from last year, and obviously it's a different scenario now. New regime, so you'd imagine they're going to hit the ground running as much as any team can. Uh, international players should be back in, the, in this week, I'd say, or in the next. Week yeah, they come so. back. They, they come back this week. Yeah. Brilliant. So, just give us a quick idea of how Connacht are shaping up. Maybe recap on some of the sightings. And just update us. I mean, the Chiefs, I can update people that the Chiefs play a semi-final this weekend. Kieran Keane will come in once that's done. Or if they win, it'll be after. What I mean to say is Kieran Keane will come in once the uh, Chiefs are done in that competition. But until then, Connacht are carrying on with the preseason, And uh, they have a couple of new, new faces in there as well. They do. Remember Glasgow in the same boat. <laughs> uh, they're waiting for their coach oh, to come yeah. from the Chiefs as well. Good so, point. you know. Um, just on you know, just just to make that comparison, it's not just us. Um, but yeah, like I suppose that you know the the you know the major signing of the season uh, season has been Jared Butler, yeah, uh, the flanker from the Brumbies. You know who's played forty nine times for them in the last three seasons and looks like a, a really good a really good buy, a really good br- uh, player to bring in. Um, he's dynamic. He's got a massive tackle rate. He he averages ninety over ninety percent tackle rate. 
in game. So like he, he looks like he's he's going to uh, well hopefully hit the ground running. Then you got James Mitchell at scrum half, who's got a Irish qualified, um, which is always nice. Um, but played ten times for England under twenties during during his time when he was of that age group. Um, but yeah, he looks like an exciting player, and I know the sale in sale the the fans were very disappointed to see him go. Uh, then you got yeah in the front row Peter McCabe's coming up from Munster. Um, I believe he was in Kentucky. You might have you might have been watching him in his younger days. I'm not sure. Yeah, back in my knock on days, they will be very proud of him down in Kentucky. Great club. Dan McCabe has been involved in Connacht in the background for quite some time. Actually, his brother yeah he's a fine rugby player. You know yourself. You've watched him go regions a few times, Alan. But uh, yeah, no, Peter is a is a player they're very proud of. Uh, down there at Kentuck Rugby Club he's come some good stock and a good a really really good uh, club set up there so it's good to see and welcome with open arms but he looks like a good signing anyways Alan he's got, he's got some good pedigree and he's going to be a good backup yeah he had five five appearances for Munster last season so you know it's, it, it, they obviously had some rating for him as well and then Gavin Thornbury being the, the, the big six foot seven lad from Black Rock who was was doing doing roofing jobs down in Wanganui when he was down in New Zealand um, himself and Steve Crosby um, and he looks as though he could be a really good signing for us, and hopefully he'll he'll um, he'll kick on and and uh, you know fulfil the potential that he showed when he was playing with Lansdowne in the day back in the day and in schools rugby. And then there's a couple of other what? names in the in the frame that we we haven't com- had confirmed yet. Um, a lad called Andrew Deegan, another fella called Harley Fox from Australia, um, but we haven't had that confirmed yet, so we we won't talk. You're about not related that. to Andrew, I presume. No, I did have a great great grand uncle who did um did go to Australia <laughs> back in the day, but uh, I don't, I think that that line died out. He only had daughters, so but you never know. You never hey, know. You played number eight. We know you can't kick a ball straight, so I am pretty confident you, 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 he's not the same line. But anyway, uh, before a wider play. point, want, a wider point I want to make, and I want you just to, to take this up, and then we will go to William as well. On it is. You know, you mentioned a lot, Alan, about how well we've retained in terms of our squad from last season. Mm-hmm. And I guess people maybe have forgotten that, you know, Bundiaki and Ulta Delad are still part of this squad. You know, when they signed back in November, uh, you know, for to extend their contracts, it, it was a real shock to the wider rugby world who were just presuming it was a fait complete that those lads were going to move on. Um, we probably can't lose sight of the fact that you know, there's a, there's a squad here that can really hit the ground running as well. You know, some people are saying we need more signings. I know it's something that you often say is, is it creeps into rugby and there's no place in rugby. Signings aren't always the solution. Retaining is very important. Yeah, and Tom McCartney's another one who signed up for next year. And like, there's, there's a guy who I can see making his Irish debut alongside Bundy this year at some stage. Because, um, we're you know, Ireland are not, you know, absolutely overflowing with, with um, hookers at the moment. And we know how brilliant he is. Um, so yeah, and you can imagine Bundy will make his his debut this year as well. You'd like to think, so that you know we might we might even get some centrally contracted players somewhere along the way. <laughs> Ooh, should we be so lucky? Yeah, exactly. William, are, are you feeling optimistic? Uh, have you, I suppose we're only just beginning to start to think about next season, and, and I suppose it gets even tougher because if it was a normal time, we'd be actually sitting here contemplating whether Connacht have what it takes to finish in the top seven under the new system. But the uncertainty makes it kind of hard to contemplate how Connacht are going to fit into this new structure. Well, it certainly does. I mean, before all this started, they announced that the top seven, we, we they eventually tidied up. The whole European mess was tidied up. And then it gets blown apart again a couple of weeks later, which is must be a bit of a puzzle to... I'd say European rugby are scratching their heads a bit. 
Um, yeah, look, there's a, the biggest thing for next for next season for me is you have a new coach coming in and it's a clean slate for everybody. Um, the guys that didn't like Pat Lamb or didn't or didn't play the way he wanted to play, and there's players like that in every team when the, a coach. Some players are the coach really likes them. Some players the coach tolerates, and some players the coach decides I'm not picking you. So it's 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 a starting point for everybody. Uh, he's going to do things slightly differently. It's inevitable, and there's going to be changes. There's going to be teething uh, problems, and that that's that's just the way it is. Centrally contracted players would be very helpful because it would free up some money. But it also means that some of your best players could be disappearing off on regular jaunts to the Ireland training camp. Um, so that that's an issue. Uh, injuries, big problem for the last, endlessly for Connacht. Players getting injured, injuring the same uh, piece of their body again when they came back. Well, hopefully, hopefully, Taking, the, hopefully the new signing of Johnny O'Connor will sort that out. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that, that's a real he challenge. Certainly, and he, it, certainly and has, he certainly has the credentials to get in there and make a difference and bring his own brand of uh, uh, rugby knowledge too, which is brilliant. But uh, yeah, we're excited about Johnny joining. But carry on with him, sorry. Yeah, but it, it's just uh, how you manage that, and you've got to. It's someone they've got to get on top of, and players taking too long to come back or seeming to 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 run into issues to be coming back and then something going wrong so that, that that that's all part of the mix and there's a bit of luck in that i mean if you can get your strongest 15 on the pitch or your strongest 23 um more, more times than opposition teams can that's how you win games and that's how you you, you get success but how this how the season is going to be structured uh, because there's going to be conference play, cross-conference play. Uh, if you don't play everybody in the other conference home and away, there are certain teams there that you'd want to play at home, and there are certain teams that you wouldn't mind playing away. So that all has to be where it's going to be. Everybody's going to be in the same boat with that. And I think Connacht have an advantage of an experienced coach and along with, say, Dave Rennie at Glasgow, they have experience of playing in South Africa. A lot of the other coaches know nothing about it at all. Um, so that's, that's I think, I, and I, I really think that's an advantage because it's, it's going to be, it's just going to be different. And that's a good thing. I think it's exciting. Um, but I would, I would accept that it's, it's complicated for fans and, this need this deal needs to be sorted and explained rapidly. Okay. Uh, when next you hear from us, it'll be August. Just enough time to get to any other business. And uh, start with you, Alan. Uh, how are you feeling going into the month of August, which is pre-season month, where there's a bit of rugby as well, and we've got the Women's Rugby World Cup to look forward to. I'm sure that's going to be top of your list of any other business. No, no, top of my list is the fantastic new green gear that we've got from BLK. Ah. Oh, that there's some fantastic-looking jerseys, and there's a... Uh, a really cool looking uh, basketball top top that I'd never be able to wear. Um, although I see it's out of stock now as I look at it online. <laughs> but just looking at all the green gear, it's great to see so much green gear and, and green jackets. And, and kudos to Connacht and BLK for getting a lot of green stuff because it's always been a slight issue of mine that you know you can't get enough green gear when you're supporting Connacht. Um, they always had these blues and blacks and whatever. So well done to that. 
Um, but yeah, looking, so, for, looking forward to the Women's World Cup. I think there's going to be some great rugby in there. I think Ireland have a really good chance. And there's, I think it was about six, six Connacht ladies got picked on the team. I need Dave for that. Dave always has this information. Um, I always trust Dave for this information yeah. and, and, and that sort of thing. Don't worry, we'll have them in once we get this uh, breaking uh, news and some sort of official competition, uh, confirmation on the new competition. That's where we'll be bringing the crew together. But uh, yeah, wait a minute, ended on your mind heading into uh, this last weekend of July? Um. Just a couple. Uh, versus Mayo, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I'm look. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, apparently, it's a big game, so I'll uh, I'll be tuning in on Sunday just to see what's going on. Um, what, what's on Sunday? Uh, Ephraim's <laughs> coming against Mayo Allen Gaelic football. Oh right, right, right. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was expecting the third day. Hashtag of the controversial. Test, right? Hey, yeah, yeah. great day for uh, for a couple of On the positive note, because we're all we're obviously we're very proud of the fact that. Our team represents the whole province. That is great news. I could, I could just jump in on you there, William, and make that my any other business. Great to see three average teams from the west of Ireland representing the province well this weekend. So best of luck to uh, two yeah. of them and hard luck, Ross Common, hopefully. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, just the, the Connacht, some of the Connacht guys who were involved with Ireland. Uh, Kieran Marmion did very, very well uh, during the summer tours. Um, and Quinn Rue. Uh, played a played a part as well. It's good to see they're still around. There's a lot of a uh, lot of stuff starting to happen. Uh, Tiernan O'Halloran as well. Yeah, men's World, uh, <laughs> World Cup in Japan two thousand nineteen. That's quite close. That's only twenty internationals, twenty two internationals away. So plenty of opportunity still. But if you haven't cemented your place in that. Fairly quickly, because uh, they, they want to see what guys are doing. So some of the Connacht lads had had a, good, had a good tour. They all came back fit and healthy, which is also very important. Uh, two ex-Connacht players who I saw little bits of, uh, Adge McGinty playing for America, running that side when they qualified for the World Cup by beating Canada. So we had Shane O'Leary at out half, and uh, fair play to them. They've um, Shane O'Leary in particular has obviously been let go by Connacht but he did a good job for Canada two entertaining games of rugby I think America have also qualified now because they've probably won their playoff um, that rugby tends to get a little bit lost it's, it's interesting when you're talking about America going into the World Cup and they've they've been at most of the World Cups in Canada um, but that bit of the rugby union over there they, they may not feel very happy about a pro um, at that stage pro 15 team starting up um, yes. because th- they might feel isolated from that that they feel that they're going to lose control of their players so that's that's just oh, yeah, but part like, of the, the story that we're going to have to tell the, the USA is such, such an easy draw though when they get to the World Cup they only have Argentina France and England so you know Ouch. Yeah, but, I, I, but I, I think that's the whole point for them. They they enjoy the, the opportunity to go there and, and compete. Yeah. Um, that maybe is part of the problem, and it's, it's not a discussion for now, but maybe the problem with a lot of the two tier two situation is that they know that's as good as they're going to do is compete. But, yeah. um, you know, Adge McGinty played very, very well in that those games, and he obviously... They were on Ireland gave them a drubbing, but effectively they were using that as a warm-up game for their World Cup because they want to get to the World Cup. But whether that's how you progress 15 aside rugby is another issue. And obviously, after the Women's World Cup finishes this year, the English professional contracts for their women players are going to be sevens only. 
and that's caused quite a degree of consternation this week. So nothing ever stays the same in sport. <laughs> Brilliant, William. All right, folks, we're going to be back probably next week, maybe maybe early enough next week, depending on what's announced and when it's announced. But for now, thanks, Alan. Cheers, Rob. Thanks, William. Cheers, Rob. Good night. Good night, lads. And we'll have uh, our full crew back next week once we get some more news. But we hope this has filled the gap, filled the void, and at least highlighted what you must all be thinking, which is, what's going on? Unfortunately, by the end of the podcast, we're still asking that same question. That's it from us. Talk to you in a week. Mm-hmm.